Welcome, Alternative News listeners. This is 91.7 KOOP Community Radio. This is Bringing Light into Darkness, News and Analysis. I am your host, Pedro Gatos, and we are transmitting from Austin, Texas. This is a pre-recorded show which will be uploaded for your listening edification on the evening of Monday, July the 27th, 2020. You can listen live each Monday night from 6 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time at koop.org. Many of the shows are archived at pedrogatos.org. All comments are welcomed and can be sent to pedro at pgatos00 at gmail.com. That's pgatos00 at gmail.com. This is our 14th post-COVID show, A New World, But the Same Place. So stay tuned. But first, as we do before every show, we first go to war. This is Bringing Light into Darkness, Monday News and Analysis, with your host, Pedro Gattos. Good evening. Over the last 17 years or more, we have been on the air here at Co-op Radio. Bringing Light into Darkness has a historical, consistent record of calling out and being later proven correct in calling out false representations of certainty on breaking U.S. foreign policy-related claims. Just three weeks ago, it was the Russian bounty claims without evidence that we detailed. The unsubstantiated narrative that the Russian government paid bounties to kill U.S. troops in Afghanistan was a slam dunk just three weeks ago with wall-to-wall media coverage. As of two weeks ago, it was downgraded and repackaged and was no longer a certainty transformed into not whether they did it or not, but instead how Trump mishandled the whole affair of not properly investigating the accusations. It is if the whole intent is to engender hate against our adversaries, not based on objective facts, but instead based on political expediency and a rush to judgment without presenting evidence to support it. Why? Because as evidenced by our foreign policy past, detailed over the past shows, comparatively speaking, we are an aggressor nation. And as President George Bush said, you're either with us or against us. And if you're against us, then our foreign policy becomes demonizing, with or without evidence, the countries that do not fall in line with our foreign policy interests, such as Russia, such as Iran, Venezuela, Cuba. We need to demonize those countries that do not largely follow our dictates. In order to create false pretenses to intervene in the affairs of those countries. This is what's called fixing the facts around the policy. July 13th's BLID show. Detailed overview of the Skirple poisoning accusations. Never proven, but even before the police investigation was complete, Russia was tried, convicted, and sentenced by the West and its allies in the mainstream media. And as a result, 100 or more Russian diplomats were expelled from Western nations. Based on unsubstantiated allegations and a legal process of prosecution devoid of due process, 
The second part of last week's show was an overview of John Kerry in sworn testimony in front of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, which held a hearing back in September 3rd of 2013 to debate the possible authorization of U.S. military action against the Syrian government in response to the allegation that the Syrian government, with absolute certainty, was responsible for the August 21st, 2013 Syrian gas attack in a Damascus suburb, El Gota. This was presented as a case study of how the American public is misled by its leaders and its accomplice corporate media misrepresented as independent journalists. Namely, how Kerry presents his information of how unproven accusations get presented to the U.S. public as absolute certainties. Tonight's show is not just how present and recent Russia foreign policy actions are consistently misrepresented in order to place Russia in the darkest light and by doing so to distract our attention from our own foreign policy bellicose initiatives, but also how World War II with respect to Russia's role in the defeat of Nazi Germany is never fully appreciated, but instead largely ignored. On June 22, 1941, over 3 million German troops invaded Russia in three parallel offenses in what is the most powerful invasion force in history. 19 panzer divisions, 3,000 tanks, 2,500 aircraft, and 7,000 artillery pieces poured across a 1,000-mile front as Hitler goes to war on a second front, according to History.com. A report in February of 1945 on reparations from Germany by the Allied Commission on Reparations. The commission's task was to define a formula according to which defeated Germany would have to pay for the damages sustained by the victor powers. The commission concluded that, quote, the number of soldier days spent by Germany on the Soviet front is at least 10 times higher than on all other Allied fronts. The Soviet front also had to handle four-fifths of German tanks and about two-thirds of German aircraft. On the whole, USSR accounted for about 75% of all military efforts undertaken by the anti-Hitler coalition. During the war period, the Red Army ground up 626 divisions of the Axis states, of which 508 were German. Tonight's show, we also challenge bigoted characterizations by top U.S. officials of Putin as a Hitler-like individual and juxtapose them with fact-based outcomes of President Obama's administration, which as a result of the February 2014 Ukraine coup that we largely facilitated and enabled, a neo-Nazi reemergence in the form of a post-coup government emerged as the Ukraine government. Our guest is Ray McGovern, Russia historian and history specialist who is fluent in Russian and during his 27 years as a CIA analyst served as chief of the Soviet foreign policy branch of the CIA. This is bringing light into darkness. Today is Friday, July the 17th, 2020. Again, this is a pre-recorded show. It's a great pleasure to have returning to the airwaves with us, Ray McGovern. Ray, welcome back to Bringing Light into Darkness. Thanks, Pedro. Good to be back with you. Ray works for Tell the Word. It's a publishing arm of the Ecumenical Church of the Savior in inner city Washington. He's a specialist on Russia, has studied it extensively for more than uh, half a century, I would suggest. He served as chief of the Soviet foreign policy branch during his 27 years as a CIA analyst. He now serves on the steering group of Veterans Intelligence Professionals for Sanity, a group of dedicated ex-government employees mainly that have great insights into the mechanics of what goes on behind the scenes. So, Ray, it's a great pleasure, as always, to have you back on the show. I wanted to start off by saying 
you have covered, this show has covered extensively Russiagate, the overstated, unproven accusations that have been presented as absolute certainties. Last month alone, the Russian bounty story was promoted as by the mainstream media as a certainty and covered the airwaves just almost completely with demeaning caricatures of Putin paying bounties to kill our servicemen and women in Afghanistan. Not to mention, we are an invading force in Afghanistan. We put our young men and women in harm's way, and then we blame our adversaries with certainty, without evidence to support that certainty, for the unfortunate deaths of U.S. servicemen and women that shouldn't be there in the first place. Arguably, this was the same tactic we used against Iran, blaming deaths to U.S. servicemen in Iraq on Iran with certainty with the issue of the IEDs, despite no proof of evidence to support that certainty. We made those claims. No mention that we were an illegal invading force in Iraq. No mention that Iraq has the right to make and accept alliances of persons and countries of their choice to defend their homeland. No proof to rule out that Iraq may have mined the roads with those IEDs themselves, which are primitive weapons and whose technology is readily available and accessible. Our mainstream media has long ago abandoned the most basic journalistic principles of reporting dissenting information that is readily available, instead apparently finding it more profitable to act as a public relations arm for our bellicose foreign policy and its various interventions worldwide. These are not empty or exaggerated claims I make. They're based on the objective pattern of behavior that we have detailed on many shows over the last 15 to 17 years. In a similar sense, when it comes to Russia, the lack of proof of evidence of these claims that uh, incriminate Russia for these various issues is never brought to light. On July 13th, on this show, we detailed the first half of the show to the Skirpal poisonings back in 2018 and the immediate rush to judgment there without proper due process. You can find and revisit the show from last week to get all of the due process violations that occurred. So this week, following the June 22nd anniversary of the 1941 invasion of Russia during World War II by the Nazis, and then by mid-1944, the Nazis were expelled from Russia, the presentation of Russia in World War II by not just President Trump, who recently just kind of left Russia out of his words of praise for the World War II effort, but President Obama as well back in 2015, that actually, Ray, you wrote in a provocative article. President Obama's decision to join other Western leaders in snubbing Russia's celebration of the 70th anniversary of victory in Europe over the Nazis was boycotted by Obama, as you described, as a crass attempt to belittle Russia and to cram history into an anti-Putin, anti-Russian alternative narrative. But what I thought we would do, Ray, is I, I... went back to this 2015 show that I did, and I wanted to play this clip because it really captures a lot of that history of exactly the toll on Russia from World War II and how much and what percentage of German troops and German military equipment was dedicated to that Eastern Front that we don't hear that much about. So if you can please listen to this clip, and then we'll have you comment on it. Sure. Sounds good. This is Bringing Light Into Darkness. This is your host, Pedro Gatos. Today is January 26, 2015. We wanted to speak in the news segment to one other piece, and that has to do with the annual anniversary of the Holocaust. 
I found it interesting, and I think we're all aware that the Holocaust was a genocide in which over an approximately six million Jews were killed by the, uh, the Nazi regime and its collaborators. An additional five million non-Jewish victims of Nazi mass murders are included by some historians, bringing the total number to 11 million. These killings, of course, took place throughout Nazi Germany and German-occupied territories. And from 1941 to 1945, Jews were targeted, methodically murdered in a genocide, the largest in modern history, and part of a broader aggregate of acts of oppression and killings of various ethnic and political groups in Europe by the Nazis. Every arm of, of Germany's bureaucracy was involved in the logistics of the genocide, turning the Third Reich into a genocidal state. Uh, Non-Jewish victims of broader Nazi crimes included gypsies, Poles, communists, homosexuals, Soviet POWs, and the mentally and physically disabled. In total, again, the number 11 million is indicated were killed, including 1 million Jewish children alone. Of the 9 million Jews who had resided in Europe before the Holocaust, approximately two-thirds, two-thirds were killed. A network of about 42,500 facilities in Germany and German-occupied territories were used to concentrate, confine, and kill Jews and other victims. And this is all, you can find this information in so many places. I find the, the Wikipedia to be a good source to really get a, a number of presentations. But also, what's going on as we speak, January the 26th and the 27th is marking the 70th anniversary of the liberation of the Auschwitz camp. And a Holocaust survivor had this to write in the Harvard Review. This is a, a guy that was born in 1926. His name is Henry Kichka, K-I-C-H-K-A. He wrote this in a blog just a few days ago, January 17th, 2015. And again, I won't read the whole thing, but just the gist of it. But he talks about that there's been some conflict about President Putin not being invited to the Fourth World Holocaust Forum in Prague and Terzin to mark the 70th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz on January 26th, 27th. And he goes on, as a Holocaust survivor, he... He says, quote, I object to the parallel some commentators have drawn between Vladimir Putin and Adolf Hitler. Uh, Russia is very far from being a totalitarian genocidal state, and it is impossible to classify Mr. Putin in any way as an ideologue pursuing genocidal policies. People who are rightfully concerned about extremism need to exercise responsibility when they draw conclusions. However, I see no benefit whatsoever in excluding Russia from such an important event commemorating the end of the Holocaust. On the contrary, to do so would insult the memory of the millions of Russians and other peoples of the former Soviet Union, including Ukrainians, Belarusians, Armenians, and Jews who laid down their lives as soldiers of the Red Army to defeat Nazism, and then the even greater number of Soviet civilians who battled heroically against the German invader, whether fighting, producing arms, or simply growing food. We must not forget the incalculable sacrifices made by that generation of Soviet citizens to defeat a far better equipped enemy that had much stronger industrial and military base. We must also remember that the Nazis' mass murder of Jews reached new heights in today's Belarus and Ukraine after the invasion of the USSR in June 1941. Close to 34,000 Jews were massacred at Bavyar outside Kiev soon after the Womake had captured the city in September 1941. By January 1942, the Nazis had killed over 190,000 Jews in Belarus alone as Soviet forces advanced westward after the critical victories of 1943 at Stalingrad and Kursk. They lived the death camps set up by the Nazis in eastern Poland, starting with Majendanik, followed by Auschwitz. 
And then finally, he says, quote, as a survivor of the Holocaust, I want President Putin to participate in the World Holocaust Forum in Prague. I want him, together with other European leaders, to visit today's Terzin and talk about what happened there and how the Czech Republic and all other countries where the Holocaust was perpetuated have changed. As they say in Russian, it is better to see something once than to hear it a hundred times. This can only help bring greater realism to discussions about the future of Europe's security. So I thought that was very powerful for a Holocaust survivor to be indicating this, this false parallel that so many people are so quick to compare all of our enemies to Hitler. I hear it all the time. Um, but more importantly, he indicated what a historic role Russia played in defeating the Nazis. And that's what I wanted to end the news segment with, was just documenting exactly that that we're familiar with the Western Front as Americans because of the Western Front that opened with the Normandy invasion. But what, what, what was really interesting to me when you really get down and, and study it is that the Eastern Front was the largest and bloodiest theater of World War II. It is generally accepted as being the deadliest conflict in human history with over 30 million killed as a result. This is documented by a Russian historian that you can email me to get the exact citation if you would like. Interesting, from a different source that collaborated the same type of deal, this is from David Glantz, The Soviet-German War, 1941-45 Myths and Realities. It's out of Clemson, 2001. So German forces in June of 1941 was some 3.7 million. Out of that 3.7 million, 900,000 were in the West, the Western Front, right? So if you do the math, that's what? 25%? So 75% are in the Eastern Front. That's June 1941. German forces June 1942, 3.7 million German forces in the whole theater. 80% of them were in the East. German forces in July 1943 totaled 3.9 million. 63% of those were in the East. And German forces in, in June of 1944, 3.3 million. 62% are in the East. The German armed forces suffered 80% of their military deaths in the Eastern Front. 80%. According to Time magazine, quote, by measure of manpower, duration, territorial reach, and casualties, the Eastern Front was as much as four times the scale of the conflict of the Western Front that opened with the Normandy invasion. George Marshall calculated that without the Eastern Front, the United States would have had to double the number of its soldiers on the Western Front. So, so think about that for just a second. If you have, I mean, you can't really extrapolate this way, but if 70% on average of the German forces are being committed to the Eastern Front, and we lost as a nation some four to 500,000 Americans in World War II, predominantly on that Western Front, how many more would have died if it wasn't for 70% on average of the German forces being on this completely other front? And they couldn't get reinforcements to the to the western front nearly as easy as they could to this to this other front but george marshall um, he was a this is a pretty stoic resource he's a statesman and leader during the world war ii and cold war he was a chief of staff of the united states army secretary of state and the third secretary of defense he was hailed as the organizer of victory by winston churchill so when he makes these comments that we would have had to double the number of soldiers on the Western Front if it wasn't for the Russian deal, I just think this is really something that we just never hear about. I grew up watching all the war movies, and believe me, all of our World War II veterans are absolute heroes. But to leave out the whole context of a country that lost some 10 million 
soldiers. We lost 500,000, 400,000 irreplaceable young men, and uh, Russia lost 10 million. And then when you look at the, the civilians, you put that in there, Russia lost another 10 million or more. You know, you can look this up for yourself, but they may have lost between 20, and they did lose over 20 million Russians from this war. Uh, so with that in mind, and then to, and to make it a political thing, is just the nature of what we on this show have been documenting of, of how unfaithful our government has been to the American people with really telling us what's going on. Okay, so that was from a previous broadcast to set the historical context for our discussion with our guest, Ray McGovern, who has extensive knowledge and history and I believe is even a Russian speaker. All of that aside, you wrote an article, Ray, that caught my attention back in April of 2015 called Obama's Petulant World War II Snub of Russia. And then more recently, President Trump did the same type of snub in a different way. But tell us a little bit about this history. Uh, build on this history that we just presented in this clip. Your article that I would also recommend people to review if they want to get more information on this subject was just published on June 22nd of 2020. Putin tries to set the record straight. In that piece, you actually have a link to Putin's Juneteenth. Actually, it was on June 19th of this year. He did a speech to the issue of World War II. Fill us in from your perspective as to what American public should know about World War II and the Russian participation. Well, thanks, Pedro. You know, I don't know how the history books are now, um, but 150 years ago when I was uh, in grammar school, well, it wasn't quite that, but it was a long time ago, I had the impression that uh, when the Allies landed in Normandy, man, that did it. it. It defeated the Germans. Very little mention was made of the Soviet contribution to the defeat of the Nazi hordes. And uh, I grew up with that, you know, and most of the people of my generation did. And I hope the history books are a little better now, but I'm not quite sure. Uh, if you want to demonize the Russians, uh, the last thing you want to do is give them any credit for anything. And if the truth be told, it was the Russians that beat the, the Nazi armies. Uh, when we landed in Normandy, uh, we would have been pinned down and run right back into the Atlantic were it not for the, for the Russians tying down German Group Central, their major elite force, hundreds of thousands of troops in the middle of, uh, of Europe, in Belarusia. And Ray, this was, co uh, this was coordinated, right? This is a coordinated offensive by Russia w with the Normandy invasion, is that correct? Well, Russia had just turned the, the Germans back from Stalingrad, mm -hmm. and they were on the march. And I'm not sure the answer to your question right now. I imagine uh, there was liaison. Certainly there was a lot yeah. of lend-lease stuff. I, think, I imagine I, there was coordination. I think Putin, I was reading that piece that Putin did, I think he alleges that, that somehow there was some coordination of sorts. But excuse me for interrupting. Please continue. Yeah. Well, I have, his, uh, I have the write-up that I did of his speech. And uh, what, what I say here is that Putin points out correctly that, quote, the Red Army supported the Allied landing in Normandy by carrying out the large-scale Operation Bagation in Belarusia, right. okay. which is actually an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> that was a big, big deal. And if there weren't several the German armies, not just divisions, but armies tied down in Belarusia, they would have been able to come to the aid of those uh, German divisions that were in Normandy, and uh, we would have been driven right back into the sea, for sure. 
Now, everybody recognizes that from a military point of view. I'm a military officer. I studied this, this period in military history. But the American people are not allowed to appreciate what contribution Russia did to defeating Germany. And the latest indignity was, of course, not only Obama sort of uh, freezing out the Russians from celebrating the victory five years ago, but this year, the 75th anniversary, here's a, a message, a, a tweet from uh, the White House. It says, quote, on May 8th, 1945, America and Great Britain had victory over the Nazis, period, end quote. Now, you know, you don't have to be thin-skinned to feel that as a, as a real insult. When, for example, Mr. Putin himself lost his big brother, uh, when his father was killed, uh, when every Russian family, virtually every Russian family, has somebody who perished in the war, Leningrad. Now, Putin was born in Leningrad. It's now St. Petersburg. Uh, he was born eight years after the very vicious siege by the German army. How long did that siege last? 900 days. People were eating cats and dogs. People were dying. More people died in that 900-day siege of Leningrad than the infernos of Hamburg, Dresden, Tokyo, Hiroshima, and Nagasaki all taken together. Mm. Those are facts. Mm -hmm. How many Americans know that? Well, it's important that they know that. Uh, because, uh, you know, when Hillary Clinton, for example, uh, calls Putin a new Hitler, well... <laughs> There's a visceral reaction to that because of what Hitler did to the Russian people. Now, Putin, in his speech, talks about almost 27 million, almost 27 million people killed in Russia during World War II. Now, those figures are almost incomprehensible. I guess what you have to do is compare them to, well, how many, how many American soldiers were lost uh, or killed in World War II? Last time I checked, there was something like 300,000, okay? Maybe 400,000? Yeah, four, as against, 440, I think, somewhere in there, yeah. 440, yeah, as against 27 million. So the Russians bore the brunt of the attack. And uh, all Putin is saying to his people is, you know, it's really, really important that we observe the sacrifices that we did. He talks about why there's a lump in the throat when people celebrate June 22nd. Celebrate is the, the wrong word, of course. It means when they mark it, when they remember it. Well, they remember it because that's when the Nazis came in. They came in big time. They came in with armies that were that the Russian forces were no match to, and it took the, the Russians uh, months and months to disassemble their arms munition factories and bring them out behind the Urals. And, yeah, it just And to round out the picture, it is quite true that Lend-Lease, you know, the, uh, uh, the ability of the United States to produce more weapons than we needed and to send them to Russia to help them, them fight off the... That was a big deal, too, okay? Now, was it the determining factor? No, not by a long shot. And yet, there's a reservoir of goodwill on the part of the Soviets. I remember I was in, uh, in Moscow uh, celebrating uh, five years ago the uh, meeting on the Elbe. And I was speaking on the dais, and there was a, uh, an old Soviet, Soviet general there, older than I. He was, I think, 92, big, tall, ramrod straight general. And when he saw me, you know what he said? He said, Mr. McGovern, Studebaker, Studebaker, 
Studebaker, Studebaker. And he had this great big smile on his face. Now, what does that mean? <laughs> that means that he knows better than anybody in the whole world that the Studebaker factory, or Michigan, I suppose it was, was turned over completely to building arms, you know, tanks and, and trucks and so forth to support the Russian, the Soviet war effort. So he was just the only good thing of it. Here's an American. I'm going to say what I know and what I appreciate. And that's Studebaker, Studebaker, Studebaker. It was wonderful. We are visiting with Ray McGovern, and we need to take a quick break. So we'll be back right after this. This is the premier community radio station of the nation, 91.7 KOOP, right here in the capital city of Austin, Texas. 